Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was wooden. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? It's time for the tech news for Thursday, September 1st, 2022. And since I didn't do a news episode Tuesday, I missed out on talking about how NASA had to scrub the launch of the Artemis 1 mission on Monday. So Artemis is the program that aims to put America back on the moon, as it were. Uh, it's actually a little more than that. It includes future lunar lander missions, which would start with Artemis 3. That's currently projected to take place in 2025, assuming there are no delays. And also, it includes the construction of a lunar orbit space station. And it's a somewhat controversial program. Uh, there are critics who question whether the Artemis program will actually serve its stated purpose, namely to not just gather more information about the moon, but to serve as kind of a stepping stone towards sending astronauts to Mars. But whether you support Artemis or you're critical of it, We'll have to wait until Saturday at the earliest for the launch of the Artemis 1. This will test NASA's new super heavy launch vehicle, the Space Launch System, or SLS, and it will also test an uncrewed Orion spacecraft, as in no crew will be aboard this Orion capsule. Uh, it won't have a human crew anyway. There will be some mannequins 
and a plush stuffed toy in there. The the toy is meant to indicate when the uh, the spacecraft encounters microgravity because it'll be able to float freely around the cabin. So why was there a delay? Why did they have to cancel Monday's launch? Well, on Monday, NASA engineers noted that one of the engines in the SLS appeared to be failing to reach the proper temperature. There were indications that the system that cools the engines with liquid hydrogen had some sort of problem, or that the sensors that detect engine temperature were having a problem and were misreading the actual temperature of the engines. And that's what prompted NASA to scrub the launch on Monday, uh, as well as the planned celebrity appearances like Jack Black, who were meant to commemorate the historic event. Whoopsie. NASA hopes to launch on Saturday, September 3rd, but there's a chance that weather will force another delay. The next available launch date would be September 5th. As for my own opinions on the Artemis project, well, on the one hand, there's no denying that sending people to the moon is a triumphant achievement. That's an achievement that doubtlessly inspires countless people to pursue an interest in space and engineering and related subjects. And I'm certain that along the way, NASA and its partners will develop incredible technologies that we'll ultimately be able to use in other arenas, which is really cool. But I am not fully sold on Artemis as a whole, though I also sympathize with NASA because the agency has had to grapple with the consequences of the cancellation of the old Constellation program, which actually was the source for some of the elements of Artemis, including the Orion spacecraft that started off as part of the Constellation program, and that got the, the axe back in the Obama administration. In other space news, NASA engineers figured out what was going haywire with Voyager 1's Attitude Articulation and Control System, a.k.a. the AACS. All right, quick recap. So Voyager 1 is a space probe, and it launched way back in 1977. It has flown by Jupiter and Saturn and then continued to travel out beyond the boundaries of our solar system, meaning it is now in interstellar space. This spacecraft is almost as old as I am, and it continues to send data back to us here on Earth, courtesy of the Deep Space Network. However, earlier this year, the AACS started sending corrupted messages about the spacecraft's telemetry. Engineers determined that the spacecraft was still operating properly, so nothing was wrong with the craft's actual operations, so it was kind of a a mystery why these messages were getting garbled. But it turned out that some subroutine was referencing a computer system aboard Voyager 1 that has long since been out of service. It stopped working ages ago. And that this is what caused the corruption in communication. So the engineers redirected Voyager's AACS to route the information to the working computer, which is what it was supposed to do in the first place. And this did solve the issue that now communications are coming in clearly but the engineers still need to identify whatever it was that caused the issue in the first place, that that prompted the AACS to try and reference this computer that hasn't been working for ages. Because it's possible that it could happen again and trigger AACS to start sending out garbled stuff once more. But personally, I just think it's an amazing achievement to have a spacecraft that's almost as old as I am to continue to provide us information even as the probe ventures further out from our solar system. 
Over in the U.S. state of California, there is an energy crisis in full swing. The state expects a nasty heat wave in the very near future, next couple of days, in fact, that could stretch on for several days. And that's probably going to prompt a large consumer demand for electricity to power stuff like air conditioners. But the California Independent System Operator had issued a level one energy emergency alert just yesterday on Wednesday. And that means that on Wednesday, all available power supplies were essentially tapped out. And that would mean that any additional demand would be unmet. And it could mean that the state will have to use things like rolling blackouts to handle problems like this. The state has authorized fossil fuel power plants to increase production in order to meet demand and has also granted businesses permission to lean on stuff like backup generators to supply some of their electrical needs, which would relieve the power grid of a little bit of the burden. Climate change has truly exacerbated this issue. I mean, you know, heat waves are weather. We're not talking about climate with weather, though you could argue an increase in heat waves is an indication of climate change. An individual one is weather. But really, climate change in this case, we're talking about this massive drought that's happening in the West, and that has led to decreased production at hydroelectric power stations. So you can't rely on hydroelectric power if you don't have enough water to to drive the turbines properly. So the past couple of years have been tumultuous in terms of power production and distribution around the world, not just in California. And that's due to a combination of a lot of complicated factors. So in some regions, uh, cough, Texas cough, you have some bad government decisions that have led to energy crises. Uh, You have climate change that's impacting power needs and production strategies. You also have big political uh, and, and social crises like Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which has caused a massive crisis in Europe. And while there's an increased move to adopt renewable energy solutions, which in addition to cutting back on on carbon emissions also provides more national security because you become more self-reliant. That is more of a long-term kind of commitment. The near term is going to present us with some very tough situations that we're going to have to address before we can enjoy the benefits of a more robust renewable energy strategy. So it's just a harsh reality that we're going to have to continue to deal with uh, over the next few years. Microsoft is facing a bit of opposition in the UK when it comes to the company's planned acquisition of Activision Blizzard. So that deal is valued at nearly $70 billion all told, and it has had no shortage of drama surrounding it. For one thing, Activision Blizzard has been at a high-profile controversy regarding corporate work culture, as well as the fact that the company has had some pretty well-reported instances of resisting employee efforts to unionize, and a lot more than that. But the scrutiny in the UK has more to do with anti-competitiveness than any alleged toxicity in Activision Blizzard's work environment. The UK's Competition and Markets Authority, or CMA, may be dialing up its scrutiny into this deal, uh, asking if perhaps this acquisition would lead to reduced competition in the video games market, that it could consolidate Microsoft's power in several areas relating to video games and prevent competitors from making an impact. Now, Microsoft reps are proactively arguing that the company isn't going to lock Activision Blizzard titles within the Microsoft ecosystem 
and prevent others from being able to have those titles on their platforms. In fact, the, Microsoft has said that there would be no profit in keeping the titles off of com- competing platforms like Sony's PlayStation console. Microsoft is essentially saying it would make no sense to keep everything for ourselves because we don't have enough of the market share to make that a profitable business. Whether the regulators in the UK find that answer satisfactory or not remains to be seen. At any rate, Microsoft is pushing ahead with this deal, which should close sometime before the summer of next year, assuming that regulators don't block it. All right, we've got a lot more stories to cover. Before we do that, let's take a quick break. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But We Loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic. Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex. But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught. A history of courage and perseverance. I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it. And it was a history full of love. The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible. And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. For My Heart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. 
Listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Verge reports it received an internal memo from Meta that says the company is looking into possible paid features for its various platforms like Instagram and Facebook. To date, Meta has relied almost completely on ad revenue, something like 97% of the company's revenue comes from ad sales. However, recent developments, such as Apple launching its app tracking transparency framework, has had a massively negative impact on Meta's business model. Meanwhile, the company has been spending billions in an effort to define the metaverse, which has not gone completely smoothly, I should add. And there's a general downturn in advertising spend due to fears of an economic recession. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that Meta would look into alternate ways to generate revenue directly from its users. Some of Meta's products already have some paid features in them, so this would likely be an expansion of that approach. The Verge reports that Meta's VP of Monetization, John Hedgeman, has indicated that the company is not looking to offer an ad-free experience in exchange for some sort of subscription model. So if you were hoping to totally opt out of ads on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, it looks like that is not on the table. It will be interesting to see what, if any, paid features emerge from this and how the users on Meta's various platforms receive them. Meta is not the only company looking for more ways to generate cash from its users. Disney, which, let's face it, is top of the class when it comes to finding ways to coax more cash from folks, is reportedly looking at ways to entice Disney Plus viewers to buy themed merchandise. So reportedly, it's looking at using QR codes and the Disney Plus app, according to the Wall Street Journal. And I guess the idea is that Disney will throw a QR code up on screen alongside or before or after some sort of particular programming. And interested viewers can use their Disney Plus app to scan the code and go to a related page on the online Disney store. So one idea is to make exclusive merchandise available on this platform. So you can't buy it any other way and you can't get to the page without using this kind of QR scanning process. And Disney definitely knows that if you limit something's accessibility, you can really drive consumer interest in a product. See also Disney popcorn buckets. It is wild, y'all. Anyway, that's just one of the strategies that the company is looking into. It's also reportedly considering an Amazon Prime-like service, 
that would allow fans to receive certain benefits in return for a subscription. I'm not sure what those benefits would be exactly. I'm also not entirely convinced this QR code strategy will be a huge success, only because companies have been trying to leverage viewers and convert them into active customers for a while, and it has been met with limited success. Um, you know, it's just, it's hard to get people to become conversions, right? To convert from viewer to customer. And uh, especially if it's not something like a, a mobile or, or, you know, desktop experience, those are already challenging enough to get people to go from being sort of a passive consumer to an active customer. But it gets even harder when you start stepping away from that particular user experience. So if you're watching something like on a television, it's way harder to get people to actively convert into being a customer just based upon the experience of watching something on a screen. You know, it, it doesn't mean that this is destined for failure. I just mean that it's, it's hard to get that to work. Disney might have cracked the code on it. I don't know. There are definitely cases where tons of people scanned a QR code that popped up on a screen just to see where it would take them. Uh, by the way, I think that's a habit that you should really think about first before you indulge in it, because, I mean, there's nothing stopping someone from putting a QR code up in a prominent place, and that code leads you to a site where it starts a download of malware onto your device. There's That's a, an entirely real possibility. It's not likely to pop up in Disney, you know, <laughs> material, but it's still something you should think about. Like a QR code is not just an open invitation. It could have some sinister intent behind it. Just keep that in mind. Anyway, I think the most successful cases I've seen of people scanning QR codes have been cases where people were just curious, what the heck is this? And what is it going to bring me to? As opposed to, I like what I'm seeing on the screen and I want to buy that t-shirt. But maybe I'm just completely out of touch on this one. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that the FCC negated a previous arrangement with SpaceX's satellite-based internet service Starlink that would have seen Starlink receive nearly $900 million in federal aid. Now, the reasons for this annulment range from skepticism that Starlink would actually provide services to areas that most need broadband access. That's the whole purpose of the program anyway, is to extend broadband access to areas that otherwise lack it. And at least in some of the Starlink use cases, reportedly, they were in areas that are already very well served by other providers. But another part of skepticism was directed to whether or not Starlink's service would meet the performance benchmarks when it was at scale, as per the FCC's requirements. In other words, that once Starlink hit its you know, proposed scale that it would actually be able to provide the broadband level of service that would qualify it for the grant in the first place. So all that money was scrapped for Starlink. Anyway, while Starlink was shown the door, the FCC has started to award money to other broadband service providers, uh, six of them right now. So in total, nearly $800 million is going to get divvied up between these six providers to provide broadband service to more than 350,000 homes in the U.S. across 19 states. Now, my state of Georgia is not among them, gosh darn it, uh, which is a shame because I know for a fact there are plenty of communities in this state 
that have no broadband access so far. But really, this is just the beginning of the United States' push to extend broadband access to more citizens across the country, particularly in remote and rural areas. Truth Social, the social network most commonly associated with former President Donald Trump after he was essentially booted from all the established platforms like Facebook and Twitter, has consistently failed to get Google to allow the Truth Social Android-based app into the Google Play Store. And at issue is Truth Social's comment moderation practices, or perhaps I should say the lack of those. So Google has a policy that any, any sort of site that has user-generated content, like a social network app, has to have a content moderation policy in place, and it also has to enforce that policy. And while Truth Social has a policy, the proliferation of threats of physical violence and similar content that is reportedly on Truth Social has not been properly moderated, according to Google. And so it has not been accepted into the Google Play Store. It has been accepted in the Apple App Store. You can get it on iOS. You cannot get it on Android, which restricts Truth Social's reach considerably since Android is the dominant operating system in the mobile market. Uh, reportedly, Truth Social is also a bit of, a, of an issue with uh, finances right now. RightForge, a web hosting platform known for uh, hosting a lot of right-wing services and websites, says that Truth Social currently has about a $1.6 million bill that it has yet to pay. Okay, we've got a few more stories to go. Before we get to those, let's take another quick break. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. 
Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. But We Loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic. Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex. But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught, a history of courage and perseverance. I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it. And it was a history full of love. The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible. And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. For My Heart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Recent restrictions regarding chip sales from the U.S. to China and Russia, really just China, are likely going to cost NVIDIA a lot of money according to CNBC. NVIDIA says it received an order from the U.S. government on August 26th that will place a licensing requirement for certain types of exports to China and Russia. Now, NVIDIA says there ain't nobody in Russia who's an NVIDIA-paying customer. And to me, that implies that in Russia, folks are turning to either aftermarkets or maybe even black markets to get hold of NVIDIA tech, but they're not buying it straight from NVIDIA. However, China represents around $400 million in potential sales for this quarter alone. The U.S. government is concerned that China's military is scooping up NVIDIA hardware in order to build out various military-based systems, and in an effort to perhaps pump the brakes a bit on fueling China's military complex, the U.S. has put these new restrictions in place that will slow things down. But in the meantime... Companies like NVIDIA and AMD, which also acknowledged that it had received a similar message from the U.S. government, are going to face challenges because these licensing requirements are going to strike off entire product lines for Chinese markets for these companies. And uh, that represents a, a, a massive loss in revenue. 
Uh, yeah, it's a complicated situation because you can see from a national security standpoint why the U.S. would want to restrict the export of these kinds of technologies uh, to China, a, a country that also has a, a a reputation, earned or otherwise, of stealing technology by copying it. So, yeah, complicated issue. Now, a lot of time on this show, I talk about tech and its role in surveillance. I talk about how a lot of us are willing participants in that kind of system. A lot of us are providing endless amounts of data about ourselves as we navigate the online world. And then there are other cases where uh, agencies like the military and the police are relying upon, to be generous, questionable technology, supposedly in an effort to protect people and property, but often coming along with it are real-world consequences of disproportionate harm to certain populations, mostly the non-white ones. But what about AI that's looking to see if you have an unreported swimming pool that you should be paying property taxes on? All right. Now, this story emerges out of France. Land of croissants and the Coneheads, if we're to believe their cover story. Shout out if you get that reference. Anyway, in France, there are property tax laws that set tax rates based on a property's rental value, meaning if your property has a lot of stuff that would make it an attractive rental, you're going to have to pay extra taxes on that. Verandas? Extra tax. An extension to your home? Boom. Extra tax. And swimming pools? Oh yeah, that's, that's more property tax. But the government suspected that people weren't being entirely forthcoming when it comes to stuff like this, so they tapped a company called Capgemini to scan satellite data and look for signs of unreported architectural enhancements, mostly swimming pools. And the tech, after some tweaking and some learning, uh, ended up returning more than 20,000 instances of swimming pools throughout France, and that represents about 10 million euros worth of untaxed property. So on the one hand, boo for more surveillance. I'm never a fan of that. But on the other, boo for tax evasion. I mean, tax evasion is not a good thing either. Though you could argue that the tax law in the first place is already dumb or unfair and should be changed. And I could be persuaded to see validity in that argument. But yeah, it's hard for me to side with folks who are actively attempting to avoid paying taxes. Our next story takes us to Surrey, a region in the UK that's southwest of Greater London. There, residents are complaining that police are misusing the Waze navigation app. Waze allows users to indicate spots where drivers should use extra care, such as areas where there is an accident or traffic congestion or, you know, where there's a member of the fuzz lying in wait in a speed trap. So drivers using Waze can set up a little icon that indicate that there are coppers up ahead waiting to catch speed demons. And thus, when drivers see that icon, they slow down. Now, the complaint is that the Surrey police have been activating this feature as they drive around on patrol. So they're indicating that there's a speed trap when in reality there isn't one. And the feature is meant to, to indicate, you know, the speed trap, which is a stationary thing, right? Like, that's where a cop is lying in wait, just ready to pull over uh, someone for going over the speed limit. But in this case, the cops are in cars that are on the move. So they're actually in motion. However, the icon will stay wherever they set it up. 
because the icon is thought to be like, well, this is a indication of a stationary police unit. So drivers are going to see these icons for speed traps and they slow down, but there's no actual cop there. They were tricked into slowing down and obeying the law. It's unfair. That has drivers mad. How dare the police misuse tech that is meant to allow speeding drivers to avoid detection? The police have said, look, when we use the app, we were at that location. It's just that we happened to move immediately afterward. And besides, we cannot be everywhere. And this does cut down on people driving beyond the speed limit. So like the story about France, this is one where people who want to break the rules are exasperated when the government agency figures out how to leverage technology that makes it harder to do that. And again, it's kind of hard for me to feel sympathy toward the drivers here, largely because speeding often contributes to car accidents and moreover uh, to car accidents that result in terrible injury and fatality. So uh, I don't feel terribly bad for the drivers who were tricked into obeying the law. <laughs> that just doesn't strike me as something I should be mad about. Uh, I think it's kind of amusing. Have you ever played the board game Monopoly and encountered the community chess card that reads bank error in your favor? Well, in Monopoly, if you get that card, you net a cool 200 bucks. Well, inject that with steroids and you have what happened to a Crypto.com customer not too long ago. The customer was asking for a $68 refund, but Crypto.com made a teensy-weensy little mistake and accidentally gave her $7.2 million. And then no one at Crypto noticed for like half a year. I mean, can you imagine seeing a $7 million plus amount hit your account? Well, Crypto is now going after this customer in court, demanding that she pay back not just the 7.2 million smackaroos, but interest on top of that. Yikes. At the Colorado State Fair, a digital painting titled Théâtre d'Opéra Spatial, which I know I butchered the French pronunciation, but whatever, it took home the Blue Ribbon First Prize in the digital category, and a subsequent revelation sparked massive controversy. Because, see, the credited artist, Jason Allen, revealed that he had used an AI program called MidJourney to generate this image after giving it a specific prompt that he hasn't revealed. Then he fed this resulting image into Gigapixel AI in order to upscale them before printing the finished work on a canvas and submitting it for consideration. In other words, this work of art was primarily machine-generated, although Alan argues that without his involvement, there would be no image at all, so there's still some human element to it. But this has really ticked off a lot of artists, and some of them are calling this the death of artistry itself. Now, I wouldn't go that far, but it does raise a ton of ethical questions, right? I mean, if we're to celebrate human artistic achievement, then... We need the assurances that a work has come from, you know, a human. I think that is hard to argue against. But we also have to acknowledge it is an amazing uh, feat to have reached a point where an AI program can generate a work of digital art at a level of sophistication and beauty that can be award winning when placed up against human competitors. Like that is a phenomenal thing, too. 
I think of it similar to the way of it being amazing once we reached a point where we could design a a chess playing program capable of beating a human chess master. However, there are social questions to consider. Uh, Could machines ultimately displace creatives in creative jobs? Is the benefit to the general public not great enough to potentially justify wiping out creative professionals? You know, and what the heck will creative professionals, what will artists do if that happens? I mean, you could argue get a real job, I guess, but that is absolutely inhumane and cruel. I mean, that's like saying, hey, this method of expression that's critical to you and that lets you earn a living doing what feeds your soul. Yeah, you don't get to do that anymore. Go get a job at a desk. Ugh, no thanks. So, yeah, this is a, a complicated thing. Now, of course, keep in mind, I say that as a content creator, right? So clearly I have a vested interest in this kind of thing. So I admit I have a very strong bias when it comes to this story because I've got stake in this as well. But ultimately, the argument is we shouldn't reward this process where we're displacing people from work, especially when there's nothing underneath to protect, like there's no safety net for people, and that this ultimately could apply to any kind of job, right? That this is the fear of automation replacing humans. And currently, the focus in the industry is to augment human achievement, not to replace it. But there's still this underlying fear that automatic systems, machine learning, artificial intelligence are ultimately going to displace us. But then you follow that up with the question, well, if it did, that becomes an unsupportable system, right? Because if no one has a job, no one has money to buy the stuff that's being made. And then the companies that have created all the automated systems in the first place no longer have customers and the whole thing comes tumbling down on itself. So clearly we have to come up with a solution that addresses this, whether it's moving away from AI and automation, which seems unlikely, or coming up with an alternative to the old model of do this work and we will give you money, which allows you to eat and clothe yourself, etc. But that's a, a whole discussion for another episode. Finally, Dungeons and Dragons recently released a new Spelljammer expansion to D&D. The original Spelljammer rules came out, I believe, way back in second edition days, Because I owned the original box set back then, and I never went beyond second edition rules when I was playing D&D regularly. Now, the rules allow players to board magical ships that ascend into the heavens and allow characters to traverse space, or the ether itself, to visit new worlds, new planes of existence. I've actually heard some fairly harsh criticism about this new generation of Spelljammer rules, but that's not really what I wanted to chat about here. Instead, in an effort to promote the release of the new rules, Wizards of the Coast inserted a 20-sided die, aka a d20, into the model of a Spelljammer ship with a little bubble on top of it to keep the d20 in place, and then attached this ship to a balloon and released it in the California desert. The company released a video that spans more than two hours where a camera positioned to look right at this model with the D20 inside of it shows 
The Ascent, and it is titled Launching a Dice to Space. And that has at least two errors in that title, at least if you're being super pedantic. Because traditionally, dice is the plural of die. Now, I will admit, in modern vernacular, folks will use the word dice to denote a single die. So I guess I can let that one slide because language does evolve. And if you argue against it, well, you're really just being pedantic for no reason. Uh, I mean, I still use die to refer to a single dice, but I'm a dying breed. So it still irks me. But the other error is the bit about going to space. You cannot get to space on a balloon. You can get super duper high up in the atmosphere. You can you know, get way up there as Baumgartner showed us. And depending upon whose definition of space you're using, you can argue that you're at the edge of space. You know, there are different definitions for where space begins. But the fact remains that a helium balloon can only rise as long as the balloon is lighter than the air surrounding it. And eventually you get to a point where the air is so thin that the balloon and the air around it are at the same weight. So the balloon can rise no further than that. So really, I would argue the D20 went super duper high up in the air, way above the clouds even. But space? Nah, it didn't pass that saving throw. That's it for the tech news for Thursday, September 1st, 2022. If you would like to reach out, with suggestions for topics for me to cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, you can do that in a couple of ways. One is to download the iHeartRadio app. It's free to download. Navigate over to the Tech Stuff part of the app. There's a little microphone icon there. You can click on that and leave a message of up to 30 seconds in length. The other way is to reach out to me on Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Gene! Run! 
Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.